Hey everyone, welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, here for a very fast show with Christina Warren, Senior Tech Correspondent at Mashable, and Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat. I feel like I always say those in the exact same tone. Yeah, you kind of tend to, but yeah. it's okay. I mean, okay. It's, it's good. My brand. It is. Well, no, because it sounds very professional. It sounds like you're a professional, like, you know, pod Aww, person. I sound professional. I am professional. Anyway. Yay. You could, you could try doing it in pirate voice. I would be uh, okay with yeah, that. that yeah. Would, if there's one profession I would like to try to be better at, it's piracy. So <laughs> I think I will. That is an achievable pr- profession. You can do that. <laughs> I think we're all kind of pirates these days, though. I mean, no, wink, no, wink, no, nod, for, nod. For IRS purposes, I am not not Ex- a pirate except at all, for that ever. Well, no. tongue in cheek, we're all quote unquote pirates, haha, because we uh, love the seven seas. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I I've never engaged in piracy. I like how Christina is very smartly not incriminating I'm just herself. Like, I'm just, just not even. I'm not even having quiet. a part of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm instead watching Bachelor After Paradise on mute. No, I'm kidding. It's on commercial. <laughs> it's on commercial break. Otherwise, I would be trying to like read it in mute. I will so, not. No, fine. I will not be shocked if you just end up reading live tweets of it during this entire show. <laughs> and, I mean, that's probably what's going to happen. So, so everyone knows we're recording this on a different night, and this means that I'm missing my true passion in life, which is not my 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 two favorite girlfriends, Brianna and and Simone, but. Bachelor in Paradise after Paradise, which is the live call-in show slash snark fest where we break down what's happened for the first three hours of, of, of Paradise on, on sun- two hours on Sunday and mm-hmm. one hour on Monday. And it's my crack. It's my love. It's my passion. And uh, I'm missing uh, it. Brianna so, and I welcome. knew that you loved Bachelor, but I think tonight really the claws have come out. We can say that your true <laughs> well, no, allegiances like have been shown. It, it's like the penultimate episode, and like there was oh. all this drama and, and, and this villain, and the villain's actually going to be on the show. Like he, we all hate him so much. We want him to just die, and he's actually going to be on After Paradise, and everyone's going to throw things at him, and it's going to be oh. fantastic. So it's fine. It's fine. It's I, fine. I feel like after jumping on a plane Friday and having what seemed to be on amazing yes. and iMessage and everything I saw you talking about it on, like your your Taylor Swift like vacation. My vacation. It. It, yeah. It's yeah, my vacation. Yeah. Yes. Hashtag vacation. Yeah. I don't know. I think like we're trying to keep you grounded in reality. You know what? I think like, that's really yeah. fair. And, yeah. and honestly, you're right. After coming out off of my amazing vacation, I can completely, I can miss After Paradise. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Yeah. This is Let's what adults to have it. to do. We have to suffer for our that's for right. our art. For our art. I know. Ah, well, if we don't have any more housekeeping, I guess we can just jump right in. I, I just need to know if your body is ready to party with Brianna and Amanda tomorrow. Oh my god, tomorrow. it's tomorrow, tomorrow and I haven't okay. cleaned my car yet. I I for I knew like I knew it was tomorrow. I knew, and yet somehow it just like well, I have this whole weekend. I'm certainly not going to vacuum my car and throw the trash out of it and wash it and make it presentable. As long as there's not like McDonald's wrappers on the seat next to me, like I will live. Like I am married to a boy, so like I can. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm a Wendy's loyalist. Right. How okay. dare you okay. suggest that okay. I would go to McDonald's? Okay. For my I'm fast sorry. food needs. Actually, I'm all about the strips, so I guess I'd go to Dairy Queen. <laughs> so- 
<laughs> Simone, I want to know how you always make it weird. It is your superpower. It is your signature move. You make it weird always. It's like it's your, but your 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 weird awkwardness is so cute. Like, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> That's what I'm banking on. I, I I've been told I've been told that it's an admirable trait that I seemingly. <laughs> Don't care what people think of me. So we're just going to keep going with that since uh, okay. it's definitely an affectation and not just me being weird. So let's do it. About Twitter. <laughs> so this week we get to go a little bit political or Twitter went a little bit political by shutting down basically the rest of a network of international websites where tweets from public officials were archived and those were diplo whoops whoops as in oops and um which archive tweets from diplomats and then polit whoops which archive tweets from politicians and basically twitter suspended api access for the open state foundation which kind of curated those websites and the u.s branch of those were shut down in june but then just last friday the rest of them uh the it, the whole international spectrum of them was shut down. Uh, and Twitter basically said they had a conversation about it. And the following quote emerged, imagine how nerve wracking tweeting would be if it was immutable and irrevocable, which kind of made me giggle because I do know what that's like. It's it's like that for everyone. Yeah, it's like that all the time. Yeah, frankly, regular users are forced to treat t- treat tweeting ugh, as if it is irrevocable. <laughs> so this was this was kind of an interesting move which seems to favor people who are in power and especially people who are elected officials and i have a whole buttload of things to say about you know the definition of a public figure and how sure you know well i mean i have a i have i i coming into this conversation like i am someone who has tweeted things who has like made spelling errors who is like you know i'm affected by these services literally every single day so you know i i, I can't help but admit i'm a little bit you know pro let's give give people a little bit of um forgiveness with this and i also think like you know uh christine while i was reading this i was thinking about the the story you were telling about how um taylor swift favorited one of your tweets and then you had a bunch of people tweeting at you and i think like anything hillary clinton tweets if it's like something that's super inflammatory like people will get screenshots of it right Right. like i don't think it's going to really stop that well well you're right except the problem is is that the screenshots have become so easy for people to forge yeah that a lot of times people want that if you've got the embed of the tweet for instance um if the text will still be there and the embed won't have all the proper stuff in it, you won't be able to do anything, but that'll still be there. But I think that that's, you know, having, you know, the sunlight, the sunlight foundation was behind the, the U S um, political whoops or whatever. And um, the, the other thing was the open, what is it called? Um, Open state foundation, the open state foundation, which was running kind of the, the European stuff. So these are, our transparency groups, I mean, that's the interesting thing is that this isn't – the groups that are running these things aren't just wanting to play gotcha. You know, they're doing it for a reason um, to, to keep track of things. And and I think you are also right, Simone, that, um, you know, regular people and even celebrities have to deal with the fact that people keep track of these things. But yeah, I mean, if, if any – going th- – I mean, it's become kind of a pastime going through – a politician's old tweets to find things that are inflammatory that be- and, and finding them before they can delete them, you know? Um 
And I mean, in some cases, people will kind of get, you know, obviously, the one of the more famous cases would be, you know, Anthony Weiner when he was um, a congressman. Um, and was about to run a Senate campaign, you know, tweeted instead of DMing a photo of um, his junk, um, decided to tweet it instead. I mean, it wasn't he wasn't uh, um, he wasn't naked, but but you could you know what I mean? And that basically ended his political career um, for the first time. And then the second time he ended it when it happened, turned out that he was also sexting on some um, uh, ask and answer service like ask fm or something like that with with some girl who had friended him on facebook so um you know having history of this stuff there's there's definitely a precedence for some of these things taking down politicians so sure it's interesting that they're that the you know twitter is making this claim and i have to wonder i mean a lot of politicians are verified um and 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 it's weird i don't know it just seems weird for twitter to get involved in in this sort of thing. It is really weird. And my assumption with politicians generally is that it's not, you know, it's not Barack Obama sitting there on his phone tweeting himself. It's probably, there's probably a lot more steps to that. And there's probably a lot more people involved. So I'm wondering, you know, I I feel like we should, especially with the case of elected officials, be able to say, you know, what you put on Twitter, you've probably put a little bit of thought into it. So if you end up tweeting something egregiously offensive or ridiculous, I, I'm going to assume that that wasn't, you know, that politician just fooling around. Like, that that's something that's a lot more serious than that. So I do like the idea of having those records there. But then I think it also gets gray when we when we talk about public figures who aren't elected officials. Like, right. you, for example, Brianna, you were a public figure. You're kind of dragged there kicking and screaming. <laughs> well, I'm a limited purpose. I'm a limited purpose public figure. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, Twitter, in their their comments about this, they said that they didn't think one Twitter user should be treated differently than another. And, you know, like, look, let's be honest here. Okay, the way a lot of these witch hunts on Twitter happen is someone tweets something stupid, and then their life is destroyed. And like Justine Sacco is a really good example of this. Like this is a woman that had a lot of background to actually be very concerned about AIDS in, you know, AIDS in Africa, right? And she's on a plane, she tweets something that is a really bad tweet. It's a really bad tweet. And then... Yeah, it's indefensible, but it's also not necessarily worth having someone's life ruined over. Right. And, you know, that is currently what happens on Twitter. And, you know, I struggle with this every single damn day of my life, where it's like, you know, the power of my Twitter is getting public messaging out there you know, like getting official messages out. It's like today, I'm trying to publicize a a reality show for video game people to get their games funded. And like, you know, I read it 10 times, I'm trying to think about the legal arguments that could come back and bite me. Like, you know, I haven't vetted the equity thing. So I'm trying to think, okay, well, if like a year from now, if this equity deal sucks for them, are people going to come after me and say like, oh, Brianna recommended this. Right. And that's the kind of gotcha stuff that is harmful to Twitter as a platform. And mm-hmm. let's be really clear. Like, I feel like the way the press is framing this as as if Twitter's trying to protect politicians. When Twitter has been, like, look at Ferguson. Like, look at what happened in Egypt. Like, you know, Twitter's been instrumental in kind of giving people decentralized power. But, I mean, beyond that, I just, it's... 
you know, it's not like they haven't been moving in this direction for a long time. Christina, I met you on app.net. App.net was started because of Twitter cracking down their OAuth policies, which is exactly what we're talking about here. So this is, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, that's a really important thing to to note on this, I think, is that even though I I personally think that this is going a little bit too far, and I do agree with both the Open State Foundation and, um, you know, the Sunlight Foundation, that there is a real... Um, when when these are political figures, when these are representatives and there are state elected uh, officials, I think there is something to be said about holding them accountable for things they might tweet, assuming we're not talking about playing gotcha with somebody misspelling something or misstating yeah. something, but we're talking about actual, you know, changes or fundamental, you know, gaffes, right? Um, I do think there might be something valuable there. Having said that, um, I mean, I think it's important to note that what Twitter has really done is they've shut down the API access that allowed them to to basically keep a record of people's tweets and 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 to store them and make them accessible after they were deleted. Which, to be totally fair to Twitter, um, you know, was not something they allow other services to do for regular people. Um, you know, people have to capture that manually. But I mean, there's some services like Tweet Tunnel and other things. But to my knowledge. It's not as if you're going to find a real-time backup server of every tweet that's sent out. The volume is just too great. Um, and, and and the API calls would be too great for it. They would ban it immediately. So um, as it works now, you know, some of the, the companies that have had full access to the fire hose and, and that sort of thing, um, when something is deleted, it's deleted. It might remain in their cache temporarily. But when it's deleted, it's deleted. So um, I think that their policy is certainly not de- – it makes sense on one level in the sense that they're saying, look, we wouldn't allow this to happen for a regular Twitter user. We wouldn't allow an account to exist solely – someone to create an app solely for the purpose of archiving every one of Brianna's tweets, for instance. If somebody tried to do that, then that would be something that they would say, no, this isn't okay. Or, or if somebody had a list and they said, okay, if you belong to this form, we're going to monitor your tweets and archive them. They would say that that's not okay. So I guess I kind of understand the perspective of saying – we shouldn't. We're not. We're, we're going to be resolute in this and say, if you're a politician, that doesn't mean that you don't have the right to delete your tweets. I'm. I'm thinking about. Um. I'm actually curious about because I know Twitter has made a lot of steps toward making the service safer for users and trying to prevent that the group attack mentality that I think is not a specific problem to Twitter, but actually a specific problem to internet culture in general, where everyone becomes a vigilante. But um, so I know they've made a lot of progress on that front, especially recently. But do you think this aligns more with that or more with their trying to be marketable to brands and be safe for politicians? I, I, I don't I think it's such a mistake to frame this about politicians. I think it's about I think it's about common users. Yeah. The core problem is Twitter makes you feel bad. It's why I haven't been on it for a week and a yeah. half, right? <laughs> And it's so many things about that experience make you feel bad. It's having something you say used against you. And, you know, I have to take a step back here and let's say, okay, let's say hypothetically this move is 100% about politicians. So let's say hypothetically, um, I don't know, Rick Santorum tweets something that is horrifically homophobic, like something that is so homophobic, it might reasonably give a voter like a reason to or not to vote for them, right? So, I mean, what is really lost there? Because in the case of Rick Santorum, you have like an entire history of like things he said to put in context, like there's more information there. But let's say, I don't know, someone that 
you know, Bernie Sanders came out on, you know, John Oliver tonight this week and said unequivocally he supports, you know, certain, you know, LGBT policies. So let's say if, if he did that, you know, there's this entire background to kind of right. put it into context. So what is like the theory with this? The theory is that if someone tweets something, it reveals something about them that the voters need to know about. But are we really losing something here? Like, is that really not true? Like, you know? Yeah, I mean, I th- I understand what you're saying. I mean, I think that the argument from the, the other side would be when they go back on their word or when they yeah. change things, when they delete things. That's sort of what bothers me. It's not, not so much, you know, getting rid of, you know, or not, people not having the right to delete things. But oftentimes what happens, and we saw this with Trevor Noah, who's the new host of The Daily Show, and and we've seen this with other people too, where as soon as someone is given, you know, a plum position, one of the first things that anybody who's their detractors or or, or just frankly certain types of journalists will do as they'll start searching through their tweets for certain words, phrases, and actions to try to use against them. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that you could say something, you know, when I joined Twitter was 2007, the sort of person that I am now versus then, I mean, a lot of my core (laughs) things are identical. But there's things that I'm certainly sure that I tweeted back then, that if you were to try to hold them up and, and hold them against me now, I could defend myself, but I could understand how someone could make try to make a mountain out of a mohill. And and I think that that's the sort of thing that they're they're wanting to prevent um, is the fact that, you know, a politician, I think that's both a good thing and a, and, and a semi-dangerous thing. I think that it's it makes sense on the one hand because um, you – I have a problem with the fact that, that, that in some cases people are using social media to kind of say that your views that you express then are always going to be true. Whereas if you were to look at my blog that I wrote when I was in high school and college, you know, <laughs> my, 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 my feelings and on certain issues have evolved. My political feelings and certain things have evolved. My, my positions, my feelings, you know, you learn more. And in that represented a moment in time, I wouldn't want that to have to, I wouldn't want things I wrote when I was depressed or angsty or, or annoyed or, or, you know, minstrel or, you know, menstruating, whatever. I wouldn't want that to be held um, as a representative of who I am, you know, at 32. I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. want that. Um, in the same way that the, the drunken tweets I might have made when I was, you know, 25, <laughs> I wouldn't want people to then hide a herald up and say, see, this is who she is, especially if they don't have the right context, right? If you don't know the entire context around it, which is usually how these things are presented, where they'll present one tweet at a time, but not in the context of a greater conversation, and you might not get the nuance that was there. So I understand not wanting to hold people accountable for that stuff. At the same time, at the same time, I worry with the politician aspect. I think the reason they were doing this to begin with is that some politicians have made comments or promises or statements that in some cases could constitute a public statement um, on Twitter, and then they change their mind and delete it. And what this, you know, how they were using this app is basically to track is is or, or is there a change? You know, are, are, are tweets going away? Or are these things going away? And then tracking which ones they were. And my understanding is that this was specific to to like Open State Foundation and the, these yes. these websites. This isn't something that could happen theoretically to you and me. This is something that no. these organizations would be going after. So I and, and it, the way that I see it, like the situation for, again, people like you and me, regular people hasn't changed because someone could still, now that this has been put into effect, go back through my tweets and find all of those crappy could. things I said. Absolutely. And, and so and, and still capture them and hold it against you until you delete them. No, And people can still do that with, with politicians. So I think on the one hand, it just makes 
it doesn't change the fact that if these politicians have said things that they can still be caught and revealed by others. It just makes it more difficult. Um, but I think that, you know, it's going to make it more difficult for, I guess, maybe watchdog groups to, to find those things out. But maybe it should. I mean, maybe, maybe Twitter has a point. Maybe they shouldn't be responsible regardless of whatever the intentions are and however noble they might be and whatever they might say about open government. Maybe Twitter is just trying to say, actually, we don't have a role in facilitating you, you know, performing background checks or, or you know, playing gotcha with other people's tweets. So I, I know that I know that Gamergate has like for me, I know they've written bots that transcribe everything that I, I tweet so they can like take it and use it against me later. Um, I mean, you could I, I don't know much about that technology that they're using, but I'm assuming they haven't gone down to Twitter and gotten like OAuth tokens. Like sure, they're I'm probably sure they doing haven't. it through a browser or something. Right. So like if you are a reporter, if you're a shoe leather reporter covering a Donald Trump, isn't like there has to be an engineering workaround where you can kind of like capture what they're tweeting as it happens. I'm sure there is, and that's almost yeah. scarier to me, is that... Well, I mean, usually what you do is you use Topsy, which is now owned by Apple, ironically, and, <laughs> and or you use some of these other services, some of the advanced tools, and, and you access that, and you search, and, and you look for certain phrases, and you look for certain things. In your case, Brianna, because you're one person, they can kind of do a typical scraping thing. They probably don't even need to use the API. The reason you would want to use an API in the, in the case of these foundations, first of all, they would use it because they're trying to be on the level. They're trying to be, up, you know, like upfront about what they're doing. And secondly, you know, you have a number of politicians who are tweeting numbers of things, big lists, you know, just for the political whoops alone, you know, is basically was kind of covering anybody, you know, who was holding, you know, kind of a public office, you know, usually congressmen, senators, um, uh, you know, governors, that sort of thing, representatives. And so that's a lot of stuff. And that's that's more than you can scrape individually. Um, you would need an API for that. But but if it's an individual that someone's just wanting to kind of, frankly, harass, I mean, yeah, there's there's not a lot you can do. You can just have you know something set up to 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 scrape Twitter every however many minutes and look for Brianna's tweets. You might miss a couple potentially, but, right. but chances are you're probably going to get everything. Well, I guess it, I, I'm approaching this as an engineer, saying like, look, there's got to be a like there are workarounds for the public to like look at high profile people Absolutely. they're deservingly part of like the deserve obloquy that deserve that level of public scrutiny and to like get around that yeah and then it so basically what you're saying is that twitter didn't make this move intentionally to be political it's something that they did that is being that affected those people yeah i think they did it for common users i think they did it for common users yeah, yeah i i would agree i mean i think that what they did was basically just to say look we're gonna hold this policy the same whether you are a politician you happen to be a representative or not and i also think it's important to note that in the united states you know at least a lot of people the the politicians that we associate with this might be like higher level, you know, might be senators or congressmen. But then you've also got lower level state representatives and you've got lower level people that frankly aren't making really any money off of their elected position, if anything <laughs> at all, and are in a lot of respects, um, I mean, less, less well known than you and I um, and, and and Brianna. You know, they, they, they have a lower profile than that. And that's especially true in other forms of government in other countries. So I sort of understand in, in some of those contexts that some of these people might just be regular people who happen to be public servants. Um, and that doesn't – just because you serve an office doesn't necessarily mean that you've given up all right to privacy or all right to, you know, make a mistake and, 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 and delete something. Mm -hmm. All right. 
So this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Hover, which is the best way to buy and manage domain names. It is glorious and simple. You just type in a keyword that you're interested in working with into their little search thing, and then it just offers you up a bunch of different ones, different configurations of that that you can possibly buy. Uh, it makes it super easy to buy that domain for that project that you have been putting off committing to it. It helps you commit to that finally, once and for all, so that you can have your website totally hassle-free by that domain and just build it up without all those extra steps of like, oh, are you sure you want to buy this thing? Do you want to buy this add-on too? Do you, would you like another add-on as well for $50,000? None of that. None of that stuff. Um, it makes it super easy to, like, you can choose from a bunch of different TLDs and those .com domains start at $12.99, which is glorious. And they offer um, who is privacy for free, which is a very cool thing considering how much we love our privacy on this show, especially after the last few weeks. Gosh. And they have fantastic customer support. Um, when you call, you can talk to actual human beings. But if you want to chat about it online, there's also email support to so you can get support, you know, wherever you are on the go. So Hover is really freaking awesome. If you want to check it out this week, you can use the wonderful code SWIFT because yes. they listen to us and they know oh. what we like. <laughs> Use Swift, that's W, or, oh my God, I can't spell, S-W-I-F-T, as in Taylor, at checkout, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase at Hover.com, and they will know that you, like they, listen to this show where we talk about Taylor Swift a lot. But yeah, Hover is really freaking awesome. We've all used it. Um, Christina is still looking for something to do with that domain that she bought. But you bought it, and it was super easy, right? Christina. Super easy. Super easy. No, I was, I was responding. Okay. I'm still excited about the fact that Swift is our You were fanning our, our yourself. Name. I'm so excited. Are you kidding me? Yes, I bought it for, 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 for Christina.nyc, and it's amazing. And uh, Or filmgirl.nyc, rather. And yeah, no, it, it hovers an amazingly easy-to-use service. Um, there, there's no hassle. They support a ton of TLDs. Really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Very awesome. And if they have a valet service where you can switch from your current provider, any domains that you have, they just do it all for free. So Hover is very cool, and you should check it out and make sure that when you do, you use that show code SWIFT to get 10% off that purchase. I'm Brianna sitting there like, when is the code going to be EDM, huh? When is it going to be EDM? <laughs> yeah, when is it my turn? When is it my <laughs> turn? I saw straight out Compton. Like, I was... Oh, so was, good. It's so good. I was driving back <laughs> from the theater, and Frank is just like, I don't get that music. And I go, Frank, basically, Dr. Dre was my Beatles. Like, that's just <laughs> what you need to understand. Did you call okay? him a square? I hope you did. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I have a rule against blasting my husband. Wow, <laughs> really? Are you sure? Because so, yeah. as far as I yeah, know, you yeah. shoot him regularly with a Nerf gun. That's different. And That's, force uh, him to eat 20 Oreos at a time. That's cruel. Uh, I don't have to force Frank to eat 20 Oreos <laughs> at a time. <laughs> Trust me on that. Yeah. That's horrifying. <laughs> you force me to eat 20 Oreos vicariously because I have to I'm gonna, watch him do it. I'm going to bring 20 Oreos with me. I'm going to give you an Octo Stuff Oreo. Brianna, I still have so many Oreos from last time you tweeted about Oreos. I am suffering here. <laughs> Washington might be on fire, but we do not have a, a shortage of Oreos. Okay. Okay. Oh, speaking of which, I hope you enjoy the, the smoke. 
How about those Samsung phones? <laughs> okay, so Samsung just released the Galaxy S6 Edge Plus, the Galaxy Note 5, and the Galaxy 6 Edge without the Plus. Um, and they are offering iPhone owners a 30-day trial of those for a dollar if you uh, use I signed up for that immediately and they were out of stock. So no. I'm just saying No. Yeah. And then I was gonna ask I you guys to- if I should do it. <laughs> Then I tried to contact their press office and like back channel it like, hey, I would be interested in like, you know, finding out about this to talk about it on Rocket. And, you know, like we're, we're trying that. But yeah. uh, their, their one dollar thing is just it's over. Uh, if, yeah, I feel it's like insane. the supplies it's are too late. Low. That yeah. is such a shame. I wonder I wonder how many they were offering because That's I mean, what I wonder you can't I really mean, tell what that indicates without knowing how many there were. All I know is that it's a really smart idea. Yeah, um, regardless, it's super I mean, smart. it's getting them a ton of attention, regardless. And and um, you know, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Brianna, because you've been using the five. You said for a couple of days. Yeah, um, I've used yeah. both the five and the six. Um, uh, the S six Edge Plus. Say that five times fast. <sighs> I don't seriously. Want to. No, you don't want to. S six Edge Plus. S six Edge Plus. S six Edge Plus. All right, that's all I can do. Um, <laughs> and uh, but but I'd love to. T- I'd love to hear your take on on what you think of the Note Five. Sure. Well, okay, so I b- before I start saying this, I want to say I I love my iPhone six plus. It is my favorite thing I've ever owned, and it's weird because if you pick up the iPhone, like even the five, it is so small in comparison. And it's like um, this is a really awesome size where um, you really can use it as almost a laptop substitute Hmm. because you can, you know, you slack on it. You can write email on it. Like it's a really good productivity device. Um, So I have said so much catty stuff about the Samsung note, like on social media (laughs) and to Android fans and to people that like have worked at Samsung. Um, Yeah. And so I felt really bad about that. So I wanted to kind of, you know, like go look at the, the Samsung galaxy note and really get a feeling for what is, what is good with it and what is um, bad with it. So I was hoping like we could have a, a bit of a chat about that uh, here on rocket. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think the problem that this solves is, I'm sorry, I know Android people are going to write me, but that operating system is so non-intuitive and like you get it and it's just, it, it is, it's kind of a, a wreck to me as someone that spends a lot of time like doing UI professionally. And I, I think it's good if you can actually sit down and kind of, you know, start figuring out all these quirks with it. So that's something. Well, that's why the free trial is supposed to be great, exactly. right? Because exactly. every time I have to use someone's Android phone, it's a, it immediately ends with them going, just give that to me. And right. <laughs> I, I feel like we become so stuck in one OS or the other. It's very hard to switch between them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I do have to say, I think I think there is immense value with the S Pen that is part of the Galaxy Note. Um, I, I was really, really amazed by the functionality of that. And they finally I, made yeah, it decent. Yeah. And I've never used it up until I have now. To say, Please, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm, 
I really like it on the five. In the past, I've been really critical of the pen because I haven't felt like it's had a lot of functions and some of the ways you've accessed the menu has been really weird. One of the things I really like about the note uh, about the pen this time is that you can start writing on the screen and it'll immediately open up the notes app. Yeah. And you guys were having fun periscoping with that, right? Yeah, we were. And broadcasting directly to YouTube. Yeah, bro- I mean, that's one of the new features, both of the S6 Edge Plus and the, the Note 5 is that it's got this um, live broadcast feature. And basically what it does is it lets you, from within the camera app, the official camera and video app, go directly live to YouTube. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. The- so, I mean, but like speaking of the Edge Edge 6 Plus, I mean, what do you think of that that design? Because that was it my is question so is- beautiful. Well, it is so so unusable. I liked like some yeah. of the uses for it, like the the way that they worked, but like having people edge and apps edge, like having that pop up on the edge of the screen. But I don't think the curve is necessary for those right. functions. So well, that and kind of rid of that on the S6 Edge Plus. That's not really there that much anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it technically is, but they kind of like so there was the there was the S6 Edge, and then last year there was the the um, Note Edge mm-hmm. that had those features, and the, the Note Edge had a lot more of those kind of swipeable programmable features they took away a lot of that for the s6 edge mm-hmm. um and the s6 edge plus it refines it down even more it's really more about the curved screen which i love the look of but i'm with you brianna it is sort of unusable in the sense that like your fingers are gonna probably hit it yeah um, you know what, what's weird about it is if you're holding the sides it can sometimes activate you know the swipe stuff and mm-hmm. you know you can wind up swiping the screen where you're not intending to um, yeah. I think with no, I think with more practice, it's probably fine. But I do think it's a really pretty design, and it certainly, you know, uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to say edge too much here. But but when you're looking at an edge to edge screen, when you really want like the complete no bezel screen experience, this is the best thing you can possibly get. But but this is what I've consistently found frustrating about it is, you know, we are very trained through using like, you know, DSs and televisions and iPhones and monitors to kind of set the periphery of your vision to like, I need to pay attention to this area, right? And what happens on the edge is the very edges of the screen constantly have glare. They constantly have this reflection there. So even if there aren't elements that are, that are, you know, on the edge of the screen that you're needing to look at, I find myself like constantly, like I'm sure if you point a camera at my eyeball to see where it was tracking, like Mm -hmm. I would constantly be getting eye strain from looking over at that distraction. So I think that that's, and this is where I I wanted to ask you about this, Christina, because I, I have to admit, I don't work in an office where tech companies send me products on a regular basis. (laughs) But what I understood was that one of the advantages of curved screens was that it kind of eliminated that glare or it it kind of, you know, it, it took away that refraction. Like, as I understand, for some of the monitors, it's actually a superior experience. Is that just if it's concave? I mean, convex versus and concave? Exactly. I mean, I think that's the case. Because um, I, I think that the way that it is now, I mean, they use really glossy panels. If yeah. you're in bright sunlight, there's going to be glare. I think that if you're in normal lighting, I think it looks fine. My In my personal experience, I haven't yeah. run into any glare yeah. issues with it more than any other phone. It's just, it's a really, it's a really nice, I mean, at this point, I almost feel like the curve has become a fashion statement and it's become one of the few differentiators Samsung can really kind of hang their hat on. Yeah, and yeah. they're increasingly getting hard to differentiate one slap from another. And this is one way to say, hey, this is I know what phone this is. 
Yeah, and that that's I think the big thing about it. So that makes me wonder, do you think that this is a design that is going to be I I guess um long lasting or do you think it's something that will probably maybe go away even within the next year or next couple of years with their next models? I think it totally depends on a couple of things. One, um you know, kind of the manufacturing process, which I know is more involved for the curved screen than it is for anything else. And I think too, I mean, I think probably just kind of, you know, fashion trends and public trends. I think it looks really beautiful. I think if you can get the edge detection to work better so that if you're not going to have those kind of usable swipes on the side, if it's just going to be for looks, you can have it so it's not going to recognize your finger <laughs> at those points and maybe activate when you don't want it to. I think there's something kind of futuristic and, and beautiful about it personally it's definitely really gorgeous oh it's it's yeah it's hands down extremely beautiful i, definitely I mean i could see it sticking that, around yeah. um but i think it depends on on how much it's going to cost them to do those curved screens because i know it's a more expensive process i do also know from from things that i've heard you know mm-hmm. the the original galaxy s6 and the s6 edge the the sales did not meet expectations at all and that's hmm. one reason why um, you know, they kind of rushed these phones out as quickly as they did. And, for, and, and to Samsung's credit, you know, they announced them um, one week. They had them in stores a week later. Samsung has never been that fast before, ever, 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 ever. So they had disappointing sales and now they're launching a phone that is more expensive and arguably, I think, more of a, a luxury item. Not that phones are a luxury item because everyone freaking needs them, but more of a f- stylish phone. Well, what what happened is that they got their yields wrong. They expected, I think, more people to want the regular S6, and instead everybody wanted the Edge, and they didn't have enough of them. Wow. Okay. So I think in this case, the Note has kind of usurped the old S6 as kind of their hero phone. They know okay. that they can do really well with that. They've got the metal body now, which is different from the past. You know, they've got the improved pen. They've got some good software features, a really nice screen. It's a bigger screen than ever, but it's actually a smaller physical size. So actually, if you compare the size of the 6 Plus and the Note 5, the Note 5 is a tiny bit smaller, even though it has a bigger screen. So they've done some interesting things there. You know, it it looks really good. Um, And then the S6 um, Edge Plus um, is, you know, the same specs, same size screen, but it is more elegant and it is more fashionable. And I think that's kind of for people who maybe want – you know the most high end phone they can get, but it want but has a little bit of snaz to it, and mm-hmm. um and they they've got better yields than they did I think with the original S six Edge. That's interesting. <laughs> I wonder if it's it seems to me like they're reaching out to people who want you know really high end high technology phones, but who hate Apple and yeah, people who have been looking for those phones for a long time. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, so I like that well, they're trying it, to poach Apple or iPhone users. Oh, when they've been trying to do that for a while, and what happened is they tried to make their own designs and not copy mm-hmm. Apple, and yeah. then it didn't work for them at all. Yeah. So they've had to go back to what they do best, which is copy Apple. And I, I, I say that not like to be dismissive of Samsung because I really do like their products, but frankly, you know, they do a better job when they copy Apple than when they try to do their own thing, mm-hmm. and, they, and when the user winds up with a better product, um, innovating on Apple, really. Right, right. I mean, because they can introduce some really interesting things to, to to the fray. I mean, something they kept pointing out again and again at the event that they had a couple of weeks ago, and they're dead on about this. Is they said, you know, we invented the phablet market, and they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the original note came out, everybody, myself included, dismissed it. I still, when I look at that original note, and it's significantly smaller. In a lot of respects, than the current notes, um, it was wider though than all those notes. It was a weird form factor, mm-hmm. and I hated that thing because it had a weird stylus and it was a weird shape. It was too wide. I still stand by the fact that part of what made that original note such a flop, or not a flop, but but such a uh, so derided in the press, it was actually mm-hmm. a, bit, a good seller. It was derided in the press was its width, which they started to fix with the note two, and then by the note three, they were really kind of you know grooving along. The note four and the note four edge were really good phones, and now with the note five. 
you know, I think the note line is better than the the S6 line or the S line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that what they've kind of realized as a company, because their fortunes have dwindled quite a bit, they are facing competition from Apple on the high end. And on the low end, where the real competition is, is in Asia. And it's against companies like Xiaomi yeah. and um, Huawei and, El- and um, you know, ZTE and Alcatel and even to a smaller degree, Asus, not to mention Lenovo, um, not to mention OnePlus, not to mention Oppo. I mean, there are literally dozens and dozens of these Chinese firms that are getting infusions of money from the Chinese government to make phones with little or no margin. And it doesn't matter to them because they're selling them in huge volumes. And if you look at a Xiaomi phone and you live in China, for instance, and you look at a Mi Note and you look at a a, a Samsung Galaxy Note, um, it's going to be really hard to choose the the Galaxy over the Mi Note because the Mi Note is half the price, has the same specs, is arguably, I mean, until the current Note, I think the current Note probably has the edge over the design, but just barely. The the last, you know, iteration of, of the Note, which was a good phone, the, the Xiaomi was actually a much better design, a much more beautiful phone. Oh, it's sexy. It's yeah, so it's very sexy. sexy. It's I all would metal. so look at one of those plus, that they brought plus, to the US. Yeah. Plus, you want to talk about like shameless UI ripoffs. Um, Xiaomi has ripped off the the iPhone um, skin like to a T mm-hmm. with, with 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 absolutely shameless abandon. Like they don't even like pretend to front. Moreover, they've created a brand awareness campaign, especially in China, that is very Apple like. Where literally they have fans. Where if you go to their fan forums, people love them and they are obsessed with them. Now. Again, whether this will carry on or not, or if it's sustainable, that's a different question, and that's a different company. But if you're Samsung and you you are the number one you know phone maker, all of a sudden you've got all this really strong competition on the low end from people who are not just making phones that are selling cheaper than you, but are better and are good and are taking your low end stuff. Then almost you have to kind of cut your losses to a certain point and go, okay, well, we've got to make money somewhere. What can we do? We've got to really focus on making our high-end products that are going after the more established and and the more, you know, um, what what's the word I'm looking for? Um, penetrated markets, you know, the more uh, saturated, that's the word I'm looking for, the more saturated markets as good as we can, because at least if we make a good note phone, which is why they're doing you know, the campaign to target iPhone users, if yeah. we can get some of them over, those are the people who we know have money, are willing to spend money. And now that cell phone contracts are going away, you know, maybe somebody will say, oh, it's about the same price as an iPhone, but I, I get all these features too, and I really like it. And I like this design. Maybe they can pull some people in. Or to your earlier point, there is a contention of users who, for whatever reason, do not want an Apple product. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and, and Samsung is, in the U.S. anyway, one of the few kind of high-end companies that's putting out a really good product. You know, HTC is probably not going to be around um, this time next year. It's really sad. It is really sad, but a lot of it is their own fault. And and some of the other (laughs) Chinese – and some of the Chinese firms – can't get a grip here because of various reasons and and, and the, their phones don't really work. And then you have things like the OnePlus, which is a lovely phone, but it's very hard to get a hold of because they are not, they're a very small company. So, you know, you look at those things and you go, oh, well, you know, Samsung is actually a really good alternative. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think the last thing I want to say about this, like, I feel like we kind of leaped right past the S Pen, which, um, you know, we, we talked a bit about stylus and the, the iPad Pro, you know, and the, the capacity for it. Um, you know, the difference in the Samsung um, Note and the Samsung, you know, Edge 6 Plus is, you know, one has an S Pen and one does not. I, I guess I'd ask you, Christina, like, I I found this to be so 
useful and not just like, you know, drawing like a super quick, you know, schematic of what I was talking about or like, you know, being able to doodle a design for a character or something like that. I mean, it's something it's it's really the kind of stylus I would love to have on an iPhone, like just because it works, and right. it detects correctly. Well, well right, um, I mean, because they have and, a digitizer, think, right? Because it's it's not pressure or trying to electroconduct stuff on the screen. It's a digitizer. I I do have to say, I think there's something innately low rent but convenient in having it built into the body of the phone because you're going to lose it. It's just going to feel completely. like you're missing part of your phone. But do you think that Apple might ever bring, like, even an accessory out for, you know, their iPhone 6 Plus? No, because, again, I think they'd have to build a digitizer into the phone for that to work the way that it does, which is going to add a layer of cost to it. Um, And I also think that that's just kind of antithetical to the way Apple works. I mean, I'm with you. I think that the, the stylus can be really useful. One thing I'd be interested in kind of knowing from you would be how often you find yourself using it after a couple of days. Because my my only issue with the stylus, or the S Pen rather, has been, you know, I like it, I use it, it's fun when I'm reviewing a product. And then when I'm done with the review, whenever I pick up the phone, I never use it. Mm. I, I think... I, I think I would be a bad gauge for that just because my career path is particularly visual. Like I never write down notes because I can type so much faster than I can write. Uh, but, you know, like communicating things visually is something we are constantly doing sure. at GSX. Um, let me give you an example. We are applying um, decals to levels for the PC version. So mm-hmm. what we end up doing is like taking screenshots of, you know, even even the, the binary we're developing developing and then mark it up in like MS Paint because we're having to use <laughs> like Windows machines to to test this stuff. That's so um, you know, and very often my team will send that stuff to me. So being able to jump on Slack and doodle, change this, don't do that, that's just part of my job. I do it all yeah. day long. So um yeah, it's 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 a feature I'd very much want, but I kind of suspect I'm more of an edge case. Right. I mean and, and and I think for what you're doing it's great. I mean I think that one of the challenges they have with it and for the most part, they've solved it is that there's not like a ton of third party support other than their apps, but mm-hmm. it works well enough for, for the apps that you support it and, and, and for the things that you would want to do it with. And I think you're right. I think for someone like you, it's probably perfect because you are writing, you are doing visual stuff all the time. And this is the perfect tool for that because you can literally use it. At, I mean, that's why they call it the note. You could use it as a notepad. I also think it's one of the reasons why they've kind of made the S6 Edge plus, you know, basically the same specs, but it doesn't have the stylus because there are a lot of people who are not going to want to have to worry about losing that thing mm-hmm. and don't want to pay the extra money for it. I mean, well, it's the same amount of money, but you know what I mean? They don't want to pay that extra. They don't want to have to be bogged down with that. It's just, it's not, it's not interesting to them. I think it's worth noting too that, Brie, you are the market that they are aiming for, the affluent tech savvy, always needing to use your phone kind of person. So I think yeah. it's, it is notable that you are using it as much as you are. We'll check in with you after 30 days. I, I really do use my iPhone 6 Plus as my, it's my office. It really is. I send an ungodly amount of email through that. I do an ungodly amount of Skype stuff. Um, you know, it's you know, it's awesome because I travel that much yeah, these days. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And you'll be traveling tomorrow to me. I will party. So this party. episode mm. You interrupted me. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. Yay. 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 We've talked about before because we love them. Uh, if you find yourself 
typing the same sentences and phrases and words over and over again, then Text Expander is absolutely what you need to save time and effort by expanding convenient abbreviations into the text that you use every day of your life and even pictures. So Text Expander 5 is here to make typing just so much more convenient for you faster than ever before. It makes suggestions, actually, of your frequently typed phrases that you can abbreviate. And so it kind of helps you build that efficiency into your life, which is really awesome because there are, I'm sure, a lot of ways where ways we could all cut corners and become faster, more efficient communicators. Um, yeah, and it improves suggestions by emitting single dictionary words and giving you greater control over notifications that you get. And if you have to frequently fill in forms, it makes that super easy as well. It cre- you can create fill-in snippets to just automatically, in a couple of keystrokes, just drop it all in the form and send it off to whoever, whatever your lucky form recipient is. And Y'all, y'all use it. Y'all love it. Y'all adore can I tell it. You, can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a story? Please. So I had three, three articles come out this week. And <gasps> so one of the things I learned from my background in politics uh, was it really rewards saying the same thing over and over again if you're trying to make a point for public consciousness. So <laughs> I have probably stated about 100 times in, in interviews, depending on which study you look at, between 46 and 52% of the video games market in 2015 are women. Mm-hmm. I've said that so many times. I said to The Guardian this week. I said to MTV today. I said to CNBC last week. So and I literally have a text expander snippet there for the things that I like try to say over and over again. Oh, God, that's such like, a good idea. I get carpal tunnel at a certain point, like saying yeah, it. Yeah, all so, your talking yeah. points right there in the not just for quotes, but to help you remember them. That is really (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you use the syncing through iCloud or Dropbox? I do. I do. Um, I've tried it with Dropbox. I I kind of prefer it through iCloud just because it seems a little bit more hassle-free. So have you found the same thing, Christina? I've used it through Dropbox, but that's primarily because if I want to share libraries with anybody else, I can just link them to my Dropbox file. So if they have the text expander (laughs) installed, they can just like, I can give them the link to that and it'll automatically update. Um, If I make updates to to the thing and they're subscribed to that, you know, I guess, like, collection or, or whatnot. What would you be sharing with people? Like, <laughs> like, like emoji, yeah. come on. Oh, okay. Well, okay, well okay. A, yes, the emoji ones I do share, like, the ASCII emoji ones I do share, and I've made those available. But also, like, I make one for Mashable, so there's a quick expansion things, you know, for work so that I can share it with other editors so that they can more quickly get around things. Imagine, you guys, never having to Google and copy-paste an ASCII emoji again in your life. Seriously, like, I type in asterisk, asterisk, shrug. How much time would I save? Oh, my God. So, yeah, and Text Expander 5 also adds support for JavaScript, and it works in Text Expander Touch for iPad and iPhone. Um, it, it costs $44.95. That's Text Expander 5. And you can upgrade for $19.95 if you're an existing user. And it is free for those who purchased on or after January 1st, 2015 of this year. Uh, and you can find out more about it. And please do visit smilesoftware.com slash rocket, the name of this show. Um yeah, please do check it out. It is awesome. ASCII emoji all day, all night. We love them. All afternoon. All morning. <laughs> <laughs> Happy 20th anniversary to Windows 95. 
<laughs> That's my segue for today. That's good. That's good. Thank you. Like, Should we sing a song? Do you even remember Windows 95? Like, be honest. Be honest. I think I do, because I was watching uh-huh. the uh, hour-long cyber sitcom. <laughs> and I was like, so that good. looks familiar. I'm pretty sure that's what I played, like, Oregon Trail on as a, as a tiny bab, you know, mm. back in back in 2000. No, back in 1995. Um, hey, so yeah, it is the 20th anniversary of Windows 95, the birth of our beloved taskbar that we just cannot <laughs> let go of. And did you know that you could customize the taskbar by minimizing programs and yep, leaving them open in it? That's crazy. Yeah. That's so wacky. So um, back Christina, in the day, that was a big deal. I, I have to ask you, what was your memory of Windows 95 coming out? Like, what oh. was your launch memory? Oh, I was so excited. So I was 12, and uh-huh. I was just starting to get really into computers. And it was like this humongous tech event. Like, I mean, there were – I mean, I was talking to Lance Ulanoff about this today. He was actually at Microsoft. He was at Redmond for the launch. Jay Leno hosted the damn thing. Yep. And and they had, you know, the press. There was this humongous thing. I mean, there was this humongous ad campaign. You couldn't escape it. Stores opened at midnight so that people could come in and buy software. Software, I mean, people oh, stores open at midnight for an operating system release. Um, it was huge. You know, there was this, they licensed Start Me Up from uh, Rolling Stones for the ads, and it was a big deal. And I just remember being really excited, um, and because it was like the future of computing. Um, one of the uh, my other memories is that the the Windows ninety five CD ROM had a number of uh, things on it. One of them was the video for the Weezer song Buddy Holly, directed by Spike Jones, which is one of the best music videos of all time. And so that was there. So was uh, like the Rob Roy trailer. There were a couple of game demos, one for a flying sim, one for kind of like a Doom like sim. Um, it, it was, it, you know, it was it was super super fun. I I was beyond stoked. I was I was just I mean it was nerd heaven for me. So that's what I remember. I remember being beyond stoked because I think I think if you didn't grow up before Windows 95, I think you may not understand just how much of a leap forward it was from Windows 3.1. Well, like when I was watching all the footage of it, like it it has everything that we recognize about modern computing, but they're talking right. about it because because it's new. And I was like, "Whoa!" That that blew my mind as a person yeah. who was again yeah. five years old. But go on. No, but I was gonna say, like, so Christine, I remember having your happy memory about the the launch and the hype, and I think I went to Office Depot to get a copy. Mm-hmm. I think it was at midnight. I think I did that. Um, but I also remember. The heartbreak and anger and agony of trying to get that installed on my <gasps> house's computers. Yeah. And I remember plug and pray. And I remember, <laughs> oh, it was so bad. I, like, did you have those problems? No, no. I oh, was, uh, I, I was fortunate. I, no, I was really fortunate that I had, um, I, we bought a brand new machine actually that came pre installed with Windows 95. Wow. And that way had the, the, the Microsoft key, the Windows key, which was the first time that was introduced. Oh, wow. And it was funny because what my friend Lee and I used to do, I'm going to nerd out for a second. We used to be really bad kids. We would go to Sears and we would go to other computer stores and we would check to see if they had simply just upgraded the DOS 3. or the, the Windows 3.1 machines to Windows 95 by deleting the auto exit back file and then pressing oh. restart. And if it restarted correctly, then it was like a pre-install of Windows 95. But if it didn't, then they had just simply run an upgrade. And so the machine was hosed and would just be like, cannot find like operating system files. So yep. it would just be dead. Oh, my um, God. I know. <laughs> 
the statute of limitations has run out, fortunately. So, right. I, well, and even then, I think that I think I think that the forcing them to install a a, a disc and, and run something at night. Trust me, I, I worked at a Best Buy. More than enough kids try to pull that stuff on me. I was just like, whatever. I'll just. I'll, <laughs> you are such a huge I, nerd. Uh, I know. That's I know. adorable. Not like today. Right? No, yeah, yeah, she's changed a lot. And it wasn't – and, 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 look, and in fairness, it wasn't because we wanted, like, to make things hard on the employees. We just wanted to find out what computers, like, really had Windows 95 pre-installed, like they said on the box, and which ones were oh. just, like, rebadged upgrades, you know, upgraded crappy systems. That's really what we wanted to do. We That's wanted really to find cool. out, like, which one was, like, legit and which ones were just, like, hand-me-downs. So on Mashable today, you posted this incredibly gorgeous retrospective of the launch of Windows 95. Yeah, and the retrospective, the stores. right? Those he's so, photos he's so are good. so beautiful. Like, there's, there's something about them. Like, the colors are so soft and, like, kind of lush. And they just look really they, – they're so gorgeous. And you should absolutely check it out. There are all these happy children and people in costumes. And it was really – it was so surreal to see them because, again, I have very few memories of this. You know, I'm pretty sure that was just like the first com- the first computer that I used. I didn't actually know any, you know, anything before that. So it's just so interesting to me to see all the fanfare around this. It's really wonderful. Well, no, I mean, Lance and I were having kind of a, a long discussion about this today and the memory of this. And my point with Windows 95 was, I mean, I think that the next time we saw any sort of tech launch on that magnitude, to be perfectly honest, was not until the iPhone in, in, in 2007. So it was 12 yeah. years yeah. before we saw another tech launch on that scale. I mean, it was so mainstream. It was such a big deal. And it was the apex moment that I don't think any operating system has ever achieved since and probably can never achieve again. You know, it was kind of one of those once in a lifetime sorts of moments. And it was also the moment where Microsoft was truly on top of the world because you have to remember that it was very soon after this that like everybody liked them at this point. This was mm-hmm. before they became like the evil empire and before the antitrust and before all the other stuff. And so this was kind of like people knew about Microsoft, but they weren't really a household name. Windows 95, everyone knew. It was this mainstream product, this mainstream launch. And in a lot of ways, it kind of made computers mainstream um, in a way that just hasn't happened before because the marketing was so spot on. The awareness campaign was so huge. You couldn't escape it. We were referencing earlier this terrible yet fantastic um, training video uh, guide to Windows 95 that that was released starring Jennifer Aniston and, and Matthew Broderick and what you are not Matthew Broderick, Matthew Perry. And what you have to understand about this video is that it was done like right after, you know, the first season of Friends aired. So Friends is on a tear. It's been really successful. They've renegotiated their contracts. They've all, you know, organized together so that they can all stay on the show. Right now, they're the, other than the cast of VR, they're the hottest, you know, commodity out there. So how <laughs> Microsoft got... Perry and, and Aniston must have had the same agent who must have made the the ridiculous decision to say, fine, you're going to star in this Microsoft, you know, infomercial. In, but it wasn't an infomercial. It was like a half of it was like a ridiculous sit, sitcom setup slash sharing features of Windows 95. And then like half of it was like actually showing you how to use Windows 95. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But I mean, that was the goal that they were trying to do is to encourage normal people to That's bring computers point. into their house and it was it was brilliant it was, it brilliant. was. and, th- and yeah. then this is my point was the fact that you were getting it wasn't i mean it was genius in the sense that literally i mean jay leno you have to also understand this was not too long after he you know succeeded carson but he finally after landing the the um the hugh grant interview the year before the summer <sighs> before he'd really kind of like 
ascended and taken over Letterman. So he was really hot. And so then you've got the hottest sitcom actors on the planet promoting this. You've got, you know, the Rolling Stones agreeing to license their song. You've literally got the best awareness campaign, one of mm-hmm. the best ones I've ever seen. And and people give Apple rightly so a lot of credit for big and elaborate launches. And they it, for the Mac, for instance, is beautiful. But in terms of a marketing campaign for a consumer product, this was so good that this kind of put Microsoft on top of the world and 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 they kind of reached peak Microsoft. Microsoft, you know, mm-hmm. they, they, they ruled the world. So this was the epitome of cool at the time. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, for, for everybody, it was it was it made tech OK, you know, uh-huh. it made tech OK to be for everybody to like made it. it. I mean, like I said, made it totally accessible. And it was one of those things everybody was talking about, you know, because it also introduced user interface paradigms that, frankly, we're still using today and that Windows yes. 10, which came out a few weeks ago, is still using it. It introduced the right mouse button, which until Windows 95, you maybe used it in some games, but it wasn't used anywhere in an OS. I mean, Mac famously only had one button. For years and years. And to this day, one of the very first things I ever do when I get a new Mac is I you know, enable the the secondary mouse click to be on the lower right-hand corner because I can't stand out having a right mouse button. Um, mm-hmm. It introduced you know, the Windows key. It introduced a lot of stuff, you know, kind of the, this, the idea of having a file manager, which even back then, you know, System 7 didn't have a great thing where they had find or they had chooser, but it was kind of a, a, hockey, mm-hmm. a, a hackneyed sort of solution. And, you know, Apple responded by by sending, you know, Microsoft this funny kind of congratulations thing written in DOS characters, you know, seriously welcome, you know, congratulations on your release. And and, the, and <laughs> Mac fans would say things like, you know, Windows 95 is, is is Apple 84. And there was some truth to some of those things. But for the most part, you know, it was um, the first really kind of modern day operating system. And it also was, even if you were a Mac user and, and a Mac fan, as I was, you know, kind of growing up at that time, I was a fan of both, you had to sort of recognize the areas where Apple was not ready. And it would take Apple another five, six, it would take them another six years, frankly, another seven years mm-hmm. to really get their op- their desktop operating system in check to, you know, combat what, what Microsoft started with Windows 95. Yeah. Cool. yeah. It's so interesting to me how, I mean, knowing or with the reputation of Microsoft now is kind of like uncool. Looking back on this, you assume, or if you are very young, you assume that it was the same back then. And the idea that this was, you know, this is the cutting edge. This is the foundation of everything we have today. It's it's yeah. so interesting. No, yeah, I mean, it really was kind of the beginning. And what's funny, too, and, and there's a great podcast that, that if you guys like our show and like um, retro tech stuff, you should definitely listen to. It's called the Internet History Podcast. It's a really good show. And um, he has been interviewing people who were like around like the, you know, kind of the Internet era of tech Um on his show for for more than a year now and he did some he's done some great interviews with with people from the early netscape team and also from the internet explorer team and what's interesting is to see about how much microsoft really kind of missed the boat on internet to begin with but then immediately realized the error of their ways and tripled down and so Recouped. even though internet explorer shipped with windows 95 it wasn't really a big deal until they released subsequent versions later on mm-hmm. and when that happened, you know, and you could get them on disk, they would send them out and that sort of thing, because obviously you couldn't really download updates that well at the time with, with um, you know, modems being what they were. Um, but what's interesting, you know, is that, um, I mean, it did introduce an Internet Explorer, but the first Internet Explorer was pretty terrible. And it was because Microsoft waited until kind of the last minute. They bought a company, uh, Spyglass, which was um, – came from the kind of the same place where, where the company that be, what was Netscape came from, um, University of Chicago, uh, University of Illinois, Champ- Urban Champ- Champagne or whatever like that or, or something, and mm-hmm. um, basically made that software – 
very last minute, like they took people off of the Chicago team, the, the Windows 95 team, right before kind of launch. And we're like, we have to have this browser. We have to have this because Bill Gates had thought that the big thing would be broadband or not broadband, the, the inter- information superhighway, which was more like connecting your TV and connecting kind of all of your devices, kind of similar to the Internet of Things we have now, but not really an open Internet where you browse websites. It would be more like a curated kind of cable like system. Oh, and, interesting. Um, and that's what he thought the future was going to be. And that's what they were kind of betting on. And then he realized, oh, no, this internet thing is going to be big. And in fact, Netscape Navigator, um, Netscape, the company, um, IPO'd two weeks before the Windows 95 launch. And at the time, it became one of the biggest IPOs in history. And so all these things happened at the same time. And I think that the fact that Windows 95 launched when it did, and then it became it was at the exact same time that the internet, the web was starting to go mainstream and was starting to become a buzzword that you heard on TV all the time. Amazon was just starting, you know, it was really this perfect, you know, Yahoo was it was 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 in, in, in the early stages, you know, it was about to be this moment where literally, the world as we know it changed. And at the center of all that was the biggest software company in the world, which then became for a time, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world, Microsoft. And and they had this operating system that led the way with that. And that was Windows 95. When are you going to become a history professor, Christine? <laughs> <laughs> At what point will you be in college lecturing the youth about the foundations of technology. I would love to do that. You don't even know. I you would be like... really good at it. <laughs> I, I feel moved. <laughs> I, I, I think you should concentrate more on getting a cable news show. That's what I think. I think that is your first best destiny. Yes. Shall well, we you wrap talk it up? Yeah. About what we're doing. Brianna needs yeah. to go to bed. <laughs> I do. Well, I need to pack. To get on oh, my God. Flight. Don't even yeah. remind yeah. me about that. Oh. What are you doing this week, Brianna? <laughs> What am I doing this week? I'm going and speaking at PAX Dev. Um, one of the really interesting things about Giant Space Cat is, you know, when it's a bunch of women that you know, found a video game company, uh, the culture and dev processes are very, very different than, you know, AAA studios. So, um, you know, some of the things we do at our studio is uh, we don't have hierarchy. Like, um, I have what I call the boss card, where I can veto anything. But um, mm-hmm. you know, generally speaking, we we reach decisions through consensus. So mm-hmm. when um, two people don't agree on a course of action, we bring in a third and kind of get a group opinion with it. So what we're doing at PAX Dev this week, which I'm flying to Seattle for, is um, I'm basically, um, Amanda and I are kind of giving a talk about some of the things we've learned about um, kind of hyper-collaborative dev culture. Um, I think it's a friendlier way to run a studio. I think it makes your your work a lot more fun than just blindly following orders from someone. And I think it gives you more agency with the games that you're creating. So that is uh, that's what I'm doing this week. And uh, yep, I can tell you right now, DFLAP crew is going to be excited to hear about that at PAX Dev. Christina, what are you up to? Well, I mean, you know, I had vacation, and I don't know how I'm going to top that. It's Monday, so I genuinely, like, I, I kind of don't know what I'm up to. I mean, we're waiting for the news to drop. I mean, I woke up this morning, and, like, my 401k was in the toilet, and then it was, like, the 20th anniversary of Microsoft's so Windows 95. So it's been, like, a a, a down-up day for me. Jeez. Um, I know. Well, I, I honestly, in, in fairness, I haven't actually checked my 401k. I'm just assuming that it's bad. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, you know, I'm just, just – 
kind of you know keeping up with some of the latest tech stuff. Uh, next week is uh, IFA, the um, uh, a big uh, kind of a mobile and, and, and tech uh, kind of conference that happens in Europe. I won't be going. Uh, Ray Ray and Lance will be going, but uh, we've got stuff uh, going on that way, and we've just got a lot of internal things and projects kind of in the works. So uh, keep it tuned to my Twitter and uh, to Mashable to see what whatever we have cooked up. But to be totally honest, like brutally honest, I don't know because it's only Monday and, and my <laughs> week changes so much depending on you know what's happening. Today was like simultaneously terribly long and terribly short at the same time. I can't believe it's only Monday. <laughs> it passed in blink of an eye, but it took 10 years. Sorry, you were going to say something, Brie? No, no, no. Um, am I going to be here for Rocket next week? Uh, I think so. Okay, I think cool. next week you are. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to plan the Brianna nonsense to happen instead. <gasps> oh, so, yeah. okay. Well, next week would be a good time to do it because we will all be burnt out as heck. Or at least you Not, and me will. Like, Simone, I travel every week. Like, this okay. Is, this is, I could be fine. How about you? I yeah. am going to show you a good time in Seattle. Um, for all the rest right, of this right. week, I will just be doing PAX gear up and then all weekend long, I will be putting out articles and videos and things and running around like a crazy person. Um, you will find me because I will be constantly screaming. Um, so that is my weekend. I'm very excited. It is the Yay. second PAX Prime that I have covered for press, but the like fourth PAX because I went to East and South this year which was great practice because this is going to be even more wacky than all of those so i'm really excited all right and brianna where can we find you online or not find I you online am not really on twitter right now uh so you can write me at space cat cow <laughs> nice brianna at giantspacecat.com i meant so christina you can find me at film underscore girl on the twitters and the instagrams and the other stuff very cool. Ooh, the Instagram. I, am I still not following you on Instagram? It doesn't yeah, matter. You we'll should, fix because it. Because I have so many amazing taycation photos, so you should be. Hold I, I was on. looking at that. I actually joined Instagram. It is, you did. It is a very interesting social network. It, it is. is. It is pets, boobs, and babies. Like, like <laughs> I don't know. I, I do like that it is a good, it's a social network without negative emotion, which I really, no. really appreciate. No, yeah. really, you want to show off how good your life is. So, like, if you don't right. post to Instagram for a while, it's because things are not going well. <laughs> Because <laughs> you haven't looked good in your selfies. The lighting just hasn't been right. Well, that's the great thing about Instagram is that the, the filters can make anything Christina, look not always. Not always. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on the bird machine at Doom Quasar. I'm also Doom Quasar on Instagram, but I... I <laughs> um, and thank you for listening to this episode of Rocket. Brianna, do you want to talk about the Guardian article that you had go up this week? Or do we want to... Ah, uh, I, I I could say a word or two about it. I hadn't really thought about it. Um, I don't know what to say. It was looking back at uh basically a year of Gamergate, and the the premise of the article is is this. Um, you know the 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 central problem with Gamergate is they have pushed the conversation so far to the extreme. So, you know, one thing that if you listen to me in my career that I constantly talk about is the need for women in video game reporting. I talk about the need for women uh, to make it to senior levels of dev workshops, to own our own company, companies, you know, to uh, for us to be included in dev culture. So what I was talking about in the article is how, you know, the cartoon, you know, villains of Gamergate are not really the problem uh, 
facing, you know, women in game development. Um, you know, the problem is this kind of casual, unconscious exclusion um, that every single woman I know has faced. So um, it's, I think it's one of the best things I've ever written. Um, it's, it's thoughtful, it's reflective, and it's a piece I'm very, very proud of. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it is definitely required reading. I, I I'm sad to say I think it went up Friday. I don't know when it went up. Okay. So I, yeah, I don't think yeah. I've seen it, but but I'm but I just I just uh, favorited it, and um, I will be reading it on my way <laughs> cool. home. So thank you for writing <laughs> you that. You don't have to. I've written so many things. No, I know you have. But yeah. since you said it's one of the best things you've ever written, then I really want to like. Yeah, I I'm very proud of this. It was it was so. Can I? I just want to tell a quick story about it. I blew this deadline with the Guardian for months. Because, like, you know, Christine, I'm sure, like, in you too, Simone, like, sometimes when you write a story, it doesn't really require your brain some things to write. And, yeah. you know, sometimes I write things, I've said them so many times before, it doesn't, you don't really have to dig deep for it. But um, I was really proud to have something written in The Guardian. And, you know, I was really struggling to find something that was meaningful enough to to really um, live up to the standards. So the moment I knew the piece I wanted to write was when Elizabeth uh, Sampet, who's a uh, game designer at PopCap, she was writing about how she had made an ethical choice to no longer say yes to these events that all women game devs are asked to, to like basically encourage young girls to come code. Uh, she had just dealt with a tsunami of internet sexism after criticizing Cliff Blazinski for shooting a video of fondling some boobs. So, you know, um, it, it's it, we laugh at it, but like she really got some, yeah, some no. hate yeah. about that. And you know, she reached a, a conclusion that she didn't feel it was ethical to encourage women to enter this industry as it is now because you inevitably end up facing abuse. So, um, you know, it's kind of a wider thought piece about kind of where we are, where we're going. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for <laughs> pimping that out. I hope people yeah. read it. And yeah, I I guess, since we already did everything else, terminated. 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 Terminated.